Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff. And I'm here with Dennis Jernigan, and he's got a book called Sing Over Me. And a lot of you may know him from his music, and you may not. Like my wife found out tonight, I played her one of the songs. She's like, we've been singing that our whole lives, and I didn't know that was his song. <laughs> and, uh, well, first of all, Dennis, I want to ask for your forgiveness and repent on behalf of the church, because we have basically, instead of being Christ-like, been more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we haven't dealt with what's going on in a lot of people's lives, and especially what they call the so-called alternate lifestyle. We have just kind of shunned it away, and I just, I just want to thank you for having the courage to come forth and to bring this out to the light, and for those churches that have not invited you to come speak or really have not wanted to hear it, I just want to say I just I went to hear you at a fairly large church that had three services, and you, when you prayed over the audience at the end, and you said anybody that has, you know, had dealt with these same problems or been molested or anything else, you know, stand up, more than half the church stood up in all three services. So that tells me you know, we've got an issue not being addressed. Yeah, exactly. I, the reason I even share my story, Todd, is because I remember being in high school, struggling with homosexuality and wishing and hoping somebody would tell me freedom was possible and no one ever did. And so I, I love to tell my story and watch the light go on in the lives of people and let them, get them to the place where they realize Jesus is the answer and I'll say this up front before I share my story is that you don't have to have gone through homosexuality to to help somebody else out of it. You just have to know the answer and be willing to walk towards Jesus, walk with people towards Jesus and let him be the redeemer, let him be the savior, let him be responsible for the outcome. So as long as we're willing to to love people like Jesus, we can meet people right where they are and walk with them towards Jesus, it's, it's, it's okay to do that. And that's what somebody did for me. Uh, you want me to go ahead and share my story? I'd love to. Yeah, we're, we're ready. Go right ahead. Yeah. Well, one, some of my earliest memories involved, uh, uh, revolved around sex. And by the time I was five years old, I was already uh, being noticed for the giftings God had put in my life artistic giftings. Um, I could draw. Uh, I, I could play the piano. I could hear a song on the radio and sit down and pick out the melody at the piano even at five years old. And that, that was n- normal to me until I get to school and the other boys find out that I, I'm like girls in their, like a girl in their eyes because I'm very emotional, uh, which is an artistic thing, which really beyond artistic, God gifted me with an emotional sensitivity that many saw as being effeminate. But the way it panned out in my life as a little boy was even uh, as simple as if somebody's sad, 
I had the ability to empathize with them and be sad. If they cried, I would cry. If they laughed, I would laugh. If they were hurt, I would be, I would ache with them. And I thought that was, again, normal. Um, Coupled that with the fact that when I was about five years old, I was in a public restroom and a man exposed himself to me, an adult male. And it, it just, it overwhelmed me. And I, I ran from that encounter. I wouldn't let the guy touch me. And I had all intents and purposes of running right to my mom. And, but I stopped short of doing that because I, this voice began to speak to my mind, said this, um, why would that man think he could do that to you, Dennis? What about you says that he, that you wanted him to do that? What's wrong with you? And People say to me, well, a five-year-old would never think those thoughts. I want to tell your audience, I've never forgotten those thoughts. And I believe that was the liar, the enemy, the devil, getting his foot in the door of my mind with those subtle little lies. Because I was gifted, and all the giftings God had given me were for use in his kingdom. And the enemy came along and immediately began to get me to pervert the gifts. And all a perversion is is taking something God intended for a holy purpose and using it in an unholy manner. And I was doing that with all my gifts, and I just didn't even realize it. By the time I get to junior high, the other boys just were relentless in calling me sissy and fag and queer, and I didn't even realize what those words meant for the longest time. All I knew was that it meant that I was not like the other boys, and they made it very clear that I was more like a girl than a boy to them. In fact, uh, I would never even put my hands in my pockets because I thought that's what real boys do, and that's how warped I had become in my sense of self and my sense of masculinity. I just felt like I was just something different than a boy. Um, Couple that with the fact that I really, really longed and hoped for my dad's affection and his affirmation and his approval. And I never heard him say the words, I love you, until after I was married. And I'm going to jump ahead on the story just a little bit because I took my dad on a trip a few years ago and asked him all the hard questions I'd wanted to ask him when I was growing up. And big question, Daddy, why did you never tell me you loved me? And what he said to me was, My dad never told me he loved me, so I didn't know how to tell you. And it was just that one simple question and my dad's one honest answer that we really broke a curse on our family in that moment. But the reality was when I was a boy, my dad never told me the words, I love you. And combine that with the fact that my perception of my dad was that the only time he really wanted anything to do with me was when he needed me to do something for him or if he was going to discipline me. And that's pretty much how I saw God in those days as well. Then when I was about 10 years old, I, because of my musical giftings, uh, I was, my dad asked me to be the pianist for the church because he was the song leader. So I couldn't read a lick of music, but I knew the hymns. One Sunday morning after Sunday school, me and my brothers and cousins were playing on the church steps, pretending to be Batman and Superman, you know, like boys will do. And the men who taught me about God from the time I can remember, the men who were just honestly the most godly men in my life, began to talk about what they thought of homosexuals. And I knew in that moment, oh, that's what I am. Oh, 
these are the men who know God. And my only conclusion as a 10-year-old boy was that they hate me. They just don't know it's me they hate. And if they hate me and they know God, God hates me. So my only, only recourse in that moment was to not let anyone get close enough to me to find out what I was really like. So I went into what I call full performance mode. I found out real quickly that if I excelled at different things, nobody asked questions. That's the good Jernigan boy. He never does anything wrong. In fact, he does everything well. Uh, when I was just a kid, oh my goodness, my dad was my little league coach. Now remember, never forget the, the moment I got my first hit. My dad just went crazy, and I mean in a good way. And not just my dad, but all the men. Good boy, way to go. And it didn't take me long to realize, again, if I perform well, then I'm loved. And I equated my ability to perform with somebody's ability to love me. And I began to, to keep people at arm's length with my performance. During that time, my grandmother moved on to the farm with us, and she lived in a trailer house on the farm and the significance of that is that she was a very spiritually minded woman she loved Jesus and she had a piano so after school I would go to my grandma's house and play the piano in the winter time she'd see me doing my chores in the backyard or in the barnyard and stick her head out her back door and say Dennis when you do with your chores come here and warm up your hands at the piano and she would just tell me all kinds of spiritual things and when I'd get beat up for my gifts at school and come home crying, I hate piano, I hate doing this, but she'd say, oh, just come in here and sit down, just play the piano. That's, those are gifts from the Lord for use in his kingdom. Those boys just don't understand, and they're jealous. They're this, they're that. And she would just encourage me, and she was just a refuge for me. But that all ended when I was 13, and she passed away, and my parents had to sell the piano and that just broke my heart. So I went into another level of just denial about my struggles in the sense that I'll never let anyone get close to me again because it hurts too much to lose them. So I was pretty, pretty much putting myself in a box. And when we put ourselves in a box, that's all we get, whatever we put in that box. And in the real world, when we put ourselves in a box and close it, nail it shut that's we call that a coffin so I was living in a place of death and I just didn't even realize it and that's that's no place for anyone to live much less a little guy and oh my goodness when I was in high school I, ex I excelled at basketball but I was the only white guy on my team so I got teased a lot for my, all my friends being black and I didn't understand that so it was like everywhere I turned, I couldn't win for losing. And I was valedictorian of my senior class. Again, you excel uh, scholastically. Nobody asks questions. That's that good Jernigan boy. And before your listeners think that's a big deal, there were just 12 in my senior class, but it was a big deal to me. And when I graduated high school, I decided I would go on to college and play basketball and major in music. That's when, what everyone told me I should do. So I wound up at first in my family to ever go to college, went to Oklahoma Baptist University, and walked on the basketball team, made the team that summer, and uh, became a music major. During that time, I went to the head of the theory and composition department and told them 
I want to declare my major as a songwriter. And the head of the department said, well, Mr. Jernigan, we only have a few openings and we reserve those openings for people we see potential in and we just honestly don't see that potential in you. So I was crushed right off the bat. And then combine that with (laughs) the fact that I didn't read music, but I'm put in the top theory class because I could hear so well. And it was like being put in a class where they only speak Russian for the first few weeks. I was just so lost. Um, To be a music major as well, you had to be a part of a choral group or a choir every semester. And my audition, you you know, when you become part of a choir on that, that level, you have to audition. My audition went something like this. Mr. Jernigan, would you take that choral octavo, go to the third page and the second score, and would you read the alto line in your register? And uh, obviously I couldn't read music, so I failed the auditions, but never fear. They still wanted my money at Oklahoma Baptist University, so they created a choir, a special choir for guys like me. They called it the Shawnee Choral Society. It was so lame, the name. (laughs) One of my friends asked me, what choir did you make? And I said, Shawnee Coral Society. And they said, oh, that's okay. Meaning they understood that it was a choir for losers, people who couldn't read music. But I called it another name affectionately. I still do to this day. I called it the Island of Misfit Toys. That was my choir. Um, But what all of those things combined to cause me to really dive into my schoolwork and to the study of music in a huge way. And... I I knew I wanted to write music. I just didn't think I could because of what the teachers had told me. And that my freshman year, somebody handed me a record album by this band called Second Chapter of Act. And I, I saw the cover and I said, hippie music? You want me to listen to hippie music? And they said, oh, yeah, they were hippies. They were part of the Jesus movement. And I said, what are you talking about, Jesus movement? And they said, well, how far back in the country did you grow up, son? And I said, evidently pretty far because I'd never heard of the Jesus movement. And they told me about this huge revival that swept the nation back in the late 60s and early 70s and how whole denominations were raised up out of that and tens of thousands of young people were born again. And this band, Second Chapter of Acts, raised up out of that. And I began to listen to their music and then I began to hear the testimonies behind the songs and how... Annie Herring had come from a Catholic family in North Dakota, came to Southern California, signed by a major label. They're grooming her to be like the next Janis Joplin, and which is a big deal. And then she became involved in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, had a baby before she was married, gave the baby up for adoption. And she meets this big-time producer, Buck Herring, and they get married, and they get invited to a friend's home for a Bible study. And they become born again. And her heart was so overwhelmed with music that, or with Thanksgiving that this music began to well up in her. And so she began to write down all these songs. And, and I heard one of those songs because I thought, I can listen to somebody like this because she was messed up as I am. That, that was my estimation. So I will, I'll give credibility to her music. But she had this song that said these words, he took away my sin and shame. He took away my sin and shame. He loves me. He loves me. Hallelujah. And on the recording, she's screaming it at the top of her lungs. That's how it sounds to me. And it's like, how can she believe that? But it's obvious she does. And God really used that music to begin wooing me to himself. I just couldn't really see it at that time. I didn't see how God could possibly love somebody 
who was homosexual. And then, oh my goodness, later that year, this dude named Keith Green came to our campus and gave a concert. And there were only like 200 people there. And I'm like, this crazy guy's at the piano. I, I leaned over to a buddy and I said, that's John the Baptist. He's come back. And then he began to talk and I thought, yep, no doubt, that's John the Baptist. <laughs> Two things that impacted me about Keith Green was the fact that he was adamant that you know Jesus. And secondly, he began to sing songs that he himself had written that weren't just about Jesus, but were sung directly to him. And as he sang to Jesus, it was like the most intimate thing I'd ever seen. It was like seeing two best friends in a very intimate conversation, and you're wondering to yourself, should you be listening? But the effect was, it just drew me into an awareness that God was there, and I just did not know how to deal with that. But the significance of both Keith Green and Second Chapter of Acts is the fact that for my four years of college, God used their music to literally keep me hanging on, literally kept me from taking my own life. Uh, the reason I say that is because there came a night when, or fall of 1981, 1980, my senior year, I was a desperate man. I was bound up in homosexual activity and uh, just going off the deep end emotionally and mentally. And felt like a worthless human being still playing all the games on the outside. So nobody would ask those questions. And I'm walking across campus one day and I hear my name called and I turn around and it's someone I wouldn't expect to even know me. They're much older than me. They're husband, uh, father, uh, well-respected Christian leader in the community. And I'm a worthless nobody. And he just asked me how I could pray for me. And it was just as simple as that. It's like, wow, are you serious? You really want to pray for me? And he would call me, come by my dorm once a week and just ask me how my studies are going. Is there any way he could pray for me, any way he could help me? And before long, I'd go out once a week and just talk with him and over a Coke. And it was the most healing thing I'd ever experienced. And because it was like somebody that really cared and really valued me for who I am and so he invested his life in mine. I don't know how else to put it. So there came a point later in that fall where I am becoming so desperate. I don't know what to do because I don't see how in the world I can overcome homosexual thought, homosexual behavior. And so I went to him one night and I said, I, I, I'm dying on the inside. He said, what is it? I said, oh, I, I've been struggling with something since I was a little boy and I don't know what to do. I, I'm scared to death to tell anybody because I don't want to be rejected. And he said, son, there's nothing you can tell me that will keep me from loving you. So that really encouraged me because I, I just felt like I could trust this guy. So for the, I told him I struggle with homosexuality. And for the first time in my life, it felt like the weight of the world finally lifted off my shoulders because I'd just gotten honest. And that feeling was then shattered when he made a sexual advance on me. And I was crushed in that moment. I left that encounter feeling humiliated, feeling betrayed, feeling set up, feeling used, feeling all the things you can imagine somebody might feel after such a betrayal. And I went to my little apartment where I lived by myself. 
turned on my heating stove. I did not light the flame and I just let the gas spew because I couldn't go on anymore. I was done, especially after the encounter I had just experienced. And after a minute or so of me lying there, this voice begins to speak to my mind that says this, are you ready for eternity? Do you know what waits for you out there? And I could not answer those questions. And that scared me to death. So I get up, I turn off the gas, and I just make this declaration to myself. I just say, this is just the way I was born. I'm going to stop fighting it. And in that moment of just giving up, a measure of peace came into my life because I finally could stop the mental battles. At least that's what I thought. And I went into a relationship with another man. I'm very ashamed to even say that out loud, but it's true and it's detrimental to my story because people need to know how entrenched I was in that life uh, and how awesome the love of God is to rescue me. Um, I went the rest of 1980, graduated in the spring of 81, went through the summer in this relationship, but there came a point where that peace, that initial peace just vanished and I became more miserable than ever. But I was too afraid to consider taking my own life again. And but at the same time, too afraid to even possibly consider telling somebody else what my struggle was and top it all off with the fact that I just felt used in this relationship. And I felt like if I feel this way, this other dude must feel used as well. So that's not love. I don't know what it is, but it's not love. So I did a smart thing. I cut off this relationship and decide, let's see, God didn't deliver me at Oklahoma Baptist University. Maybe he'll meet me at seminary. I'll just go on to seminary and see if God will meet me there. After all, I've already tried suicide. I don't see how seminary could be any worse. That's a joke for all you seminary people. And I, uh, this is where the Holy Spirit really began to work in ways I could begin to see. Because three days before I was to go to seminary, a buddy of mine called and said, Dennis, the Lord's been speaking to me about you, which scared me to death because my estimation was I'd never heard God speak to me about me, so what's he saying to this guy? And my friend said, Dennis, the Lord came to me in a dream, and in this dream, he was giving you music, and people all over the world are singing your songs. And he could tell the hesitancy in my voice, and he said, to confirm it to you, my mother had the same dream this week about you, and we don't think that's coincidence. We believe that's the Holy Spirit. Would you be willing to move to Oklahoma City, live with us, give God a chance to work this in your life? So three days later, I'm living in Oklahoma City, and with my church music degree, I found a job quickly driving a school bus for the local school district, which... God will use anything God wants to get to us. And this was just a very important time in my life, driving a silly school bus, <laughs> because I had morning bus routes and afternoon bus routes and hours in the day where I'm literally losing my mind. Because on the one hand, I'm being bombarded with homosexual thought. And then on the other hand, have my friend just faithfully speaking the word of God to me every day, just speaking life to me. So I'm essentially being pulled in two opposite directions and I'm double-minded and the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So I couldn't risk telling my friend what my battle was. So I would, after my morning bus routes, go to my friend's piano while he and his mom were at work and I'd open my Bible to Psalm one and just start singing. 
And the reason I did that was because I remembered the story of King Saul when the Lord had sent that evil spirit to torment him. And the word says that they would send for the shepherd boy to come and play his harp and worship and that the enemy would flee. So I thought, well, I'll do that for myself. So I would literally start singing the Psalms, just making up melodies in my heart to the word. And until it was time for my next bus route, I've literally sung through the Psalms. And in the process of that, I realized, you know what? Nobody's writing songs that speak to what I'm dealing with. So I'll just cry out like the psalmists who were so honest with the Lord and the Lord seemed to be able to handle their, handle their honesty. So I'll just, I'll just write my own songs and get honest with God. And I began to do that and write my own psalms. And then lo and behold, I was still walking in misery and my friend could tell. And so one night uh, he came to me and he said, Dennis, I know what your struggle is. And I thought, there's no way I've hidden this too well. And I said, oh yeah, what is it? And he said, it's homosexuality. And that freaked me out. And I remember running out of the house just just beside myself, thinking I've lost everything now. This is my last friend. This is my last hope. And I'm running and I'm running and running in the middle of the night. And then it dawns on me, where am I running to? And I stopped and I just said out loud, I said, Lord, if you are real, I need to hear you. I need to hear from you right now. And I looked up in the sky. It was a a full moon and there were two clouds in the sky and you know how you'll do when you're a kid? You'll look up and see shapes. Oh, I'm, I must be a big kid because I still do that to this day. But I looked up in the sky, and there were two clouds and just illuminated by the light of the moon. One was in the shape of an old man with a beard. The other was in the shape of a little lamb. And before I knew it, while I was watching, the little lamb was consumed in the old man cloud. And I thought, am I losing my mind? Did I just see what I think I saw? Then it dawned on me, I just asked the Lord to speak to me, and he used those clouds to speak peace and grace to me. So I just felt like I need to go back and at least pack up my things and go somewhere. But I go back, and my friend that had confronted me had never left. He was sitting in the same spot I had left him. And that that spoke volumes to me as well. But then what he said next was, was amazing. He said, Dennis... I don't know how to help you, but I know I know the answer. And that blew my mind. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, uh, Jesus is the answer. I said, oh, I've heard that my whole life, and Jesus hasn't done anything to change me. He said, you haven't heard it like this, son. I'm so convinced Jesus is the answer. Here's what I'm willing to do. If you will let me, I will walk with you toward Jesus. So let's just seek him shoulder to shoulder for the answers you need. Let him be your redeemer. Let him be your savior. I'll just be there to encourage you. In fact, if you need a shoulder to cry on, I can do that. I can be that guy. If you need someone to yell at, you need a sounding board when you don't know, you're just so frustrated, you don't know what to say or ask. I can take that. I can handle that. And he said, I guarantee you this. If you'll let me, I will, if you fall, I won't kick you. I won't say, I told you so. I'll help you up every time if you'll let me. And in a sense, that was the first time I'd experienced somebody extending to me the love of Jesus. But I had to go outside the church in a a way to find somebody who would dare to love me like that. And I'll just tell your audience that uh, that man is still my friend to this day and still encourages me in things of the Lord. But God wasn't done there. My goodness, 
that was just the beginning because on November 7th of 1981, that band I talked about earlier, Second Chapter Vax, was going to be in concert at the University of Oklahoma. So I wanted to be there. So I got there early enough. Nobody could see this good Christian boy sneak in with his tape recorder and three blank tapes because I was going to get three albums set. I couldn't afford their new record, so I thought I'll just record my own. It's called bootlegging. It is highly illegal. It is sin. But what happened was God had mercy on me in, in the fact that I got to record my own deliverance. In fact, there's a documentary on my life called Sing Over Me, just like the book, where we end by letting the audience listen to what I'm about to tell you about here. During the concert, there's about 4,500 people there, and they're singing a song called Mansion Builder, and the, the lyrics just simply go, why should I worry? Why should I fret? I've got a mansion builder who ain't through with me yet. And then they stop singing the song, and Annie Herring, the big sister, the lead singer of the group, begins to prophesy, just speaking forth what God's put on her heart to say. She said, the Holy Spirit's told me there's somebody here tonight who's gone through things you never thought you'd have to go through. She said, he's shown me that you have things hidden in your heart that you'd be devastated if you thought anyone knew about. But God wants me to tell you that he sees the things you think you hide so well, and he loves you anyway. And I need to tell your audience why that's so important to me. Because when I was that 10-year-old boy that heard the men who loved God, who taught me about God, talk about what they thought of homosexuals. In that moment, since I was a 10-year-old boy, I thought homosexual sin was too vile for Jesus to take on the cross because in silent, subtle ways, that's what the church had communicated to me. And here is this woman with the audacity to tell me it doesn't matter what. Jesus died for it all. He's waiting for you to give it to him. See, I'd never given him my homosexual thought or behavior or anything because I thought he wouldn't take it. And here's this woman saying, no, give him everything. She said, in fact, let's make it like Christmas. On Christmas, you give things away. We're going to sing this song together. And while we sing, we want you to reach into those hidden places of your heart, take out your sin, take out your failure, take out your, your wounds, take out whatever you need to give to Jesus and place them on his shoulders. Just lift your hands to him, placing it by faith on his shoulders. But she said, on Christmas morning, you don't just give gifts away, you receive gifts in return. So what do you need from Father? And so they began to sing, and I just did what she said. I got honest with God. And the reason that's important is because John 8:32 says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the first step towards truth is always our own honest confession. And I'd never gotten honest to that degree before, not with Jesus. So here... During the song, I'm giving, seeing myself crucified with Jesus. I, I placed all my sin on his shoulders. I see myself crucified with him, and you can hear the singing on the tape. You can hear me sobbing because my heart was broken, because it, it dawned on me that if I was crucified with Christ and buried with him, then here's Jesus at the head of my tomb, and he's saying, Dennis Jernigan, come forth but you leave the old you in the grave because he's dead now. And I walked out of that old identity that night. I literally walked out of homosexual identity that night. That doesn't mean the temptation stopped right away. Uh, temptation doesn't define anybody. And that's the key that everybody needs to understand. One of the major keys in overcoming any lies of the enemy is that temptation 
defines nobody. Jesus was tempted in every manner just as we are, yet without sin. My past failures no longer identified with me because they were under the blood of Jesus. My present circumstances no longer define me because I'm more than what I feel. In fact, I began to discover that the battleground was just in my mind. It wasn't my physical body. The battleground was between my ears, and it stood to reason if I put off the lies of the enemy, I needed to replace those lies with the truth of who God says I am. So I began what I call my incredible journey, which I'm still on to this day because uh, the most asked question in my life, Jernigan, is your healing, was it instant or has it been a process? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because in, in an instant, I was born again. Uh, I couldn't get any more saved than I was in that moment. But the process looks like Lazarus. When Lazarus was dead in the grave, Jesus came to the grave and he spoke these words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out fully alive. But Lazarus was not free yet. We know that because Jesus said to those around Lazarus, loose from him the grave clothes. So for, since 1981, I've just been walking towards Jesus and saying to him, Lord, show me the things that I thought defined me that you say do not define me, the things that defined me in my old dead life. And let's rip those away. One of the things people ask me all the time, well, were you homosexually oriented? And I say it like this, orientation defines nobody, just like temptation defines nobody. And the reason I can say that with confidence is this simple fact that one of the first things that the Lord began to deal with besides homosexuality in my life was my anger issues. Because when I was a boy, I did not know how to handle my own emotions, my artistic bent. My parents didn't understand it, and we would all get frustrated, (laughs) and I would just erupt in these temper tantrums where I didn't know I would just get so frustrated and my mom would say this you just that's you just come by that naturally because your great-grandparents were fiery redheads and so that's just the way you are one of the first things the Lord said to me was son who told you you were an angry man I said well my family father he said but did I say that to you I said no he said that's part of your old grave clothes Let's rip that away. Now look what's exposed there, that heart of peace I planted in you. Just be that. That's what I've done with my sexual identity as well, by the way. So much healing began to take place in my life as I replaced the the lies of the enemy with the truth of God that within the next two years, the Lord gave me a wife, something I never thought I would have. And we've been married 32 years and counting. We have nine kids about to have seven grandkids and no we're not mormon we're not catholic they're not adopted and yes we know what causes that and my point is this i didn't have a single one of those children to prove anything to anybody my wife and i when we got married felt so robbed of life that we just told the lord we're tired of using our bodies in in ways that you never intended so We want our bodies to be temples, and we'll take all the blessings you'll give us. So there we have nine kids as a result. So um, that's pretty much my story, and I know I've taken a long time to tell it, but I love to tell my story because I hear from people every day, literally every day online who have received hope from Jesus just by hearing my story. And and one of the side benefits of – of just having other people come to Jesus is the fact that 
according to Revelation 12:11, I overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. And the fact that I don't love my life, even if it means laying it down, telling my story is a weapon in my warfare. And I accomplish putting the enemy under my feet every time I tell it. So there you have it. That's my story, man. Well, I really like how your friend came along beside and And, you know, obviously God had told him exactly what it was and everything else. And uh, that sounds like that was a big part of your Oh, healing. definitely. Yeah, it definitely was. In fact, the way I put it was he was... He was willing to get involved in the messiness of my life and help me unwind the mess that I'd made of it. And like I said, he's still my buddy to this day. And anyway, you know, you don't have to have gone through anything to help somebody else out. We're called, every one of us who have been born again, according to 1 Corinthians 6, are called to be, or 2 Corinthians 5, we're all called to be ministers of reconciliation, regardless of what our vocation is. We're called to build relationship with people and lead them to be reconciled with Christ. So we're all in the ministry, whether we like it or not. So there. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming and telling your story, but I'd, I'd like you to uh, tell people how, you know, uh, especially like if a church wants to have you speak, um, and if they've never heard you speak before, you know, uh, I like the way that you, you play songs as you go through it and kind of make it a little easier. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to open up and, and let their heart listen to, you know, problems going on. And, uh, and then, like I said, you prayed over the audience at the end and, that was a huge, that was a huge thing. And and we definitely want you to pray over this audience before you leave tonight. But, um, I'm actually hearing pray for the healing of the people's hearts that are listening. Yeah, I can, I can do that. You want me to pray right now? I can do it. Sure. Absolutely. Father, you know, exactly who's going to be listening to this broadcast, this program. And so I ask you to just right now, wherever they are, wherever they're listening from, whatever they're listening on, I ask you just to overwhelm them with your love, with the realization that you're present right there with them. And Father, that being said, would you reveal to them the lies of the enemy that that we all believe from time to time? Would you open blinded eyes to the reality that we are not defined by our failures? We're not defined by anything other than who you say we are. And by putting our faith in you, Father, then we have victory. So, Father, I ask you to to break hearts with your love right now. I ask you to bind up broken hearts that never thought there would be a way for them to unravel the mess of their lives. I ask you to meet people right where they are. You love them right where they are, Father, but you love them enough to not leave them there. So, Father, as they put their faith in you, open their eyes to see what you see, to see themselves through the grid of Jesus Christ and his blood shed for them and the work of the cross and the resurrection power. And, Father, I ask you to show them that 
in an instant they can be born again. And from that point on, Father, things will never be the same because what has old has been passed away and something new has come. So, Father, just be yourself is what I'm asking. Bind up these broken hearts, open blinded eyes, set captives free as only you can. Father, seal this work by the name of Jesus, by his blood. And I ask you also, Father, that you would engineer divine encounters with other believers that would help encourage those who are listening in their own personal walks because it is all about relationship ultimate relationship with you but relationship with other one another as well father so engineer those divine appointments and lead people who can help in the process of healing and then just give them the grace to take whatever steps are necessary to rid the lies from their life whether that means getting rid of things that connect them to their old life, if that means breaking relationships, whatever it means to get rid of the old life, then, Father, help them to do that and not look back. So, Father, again, as I started, I ask you to meet people right where they are and just overwhelm them with your love and set them free, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for bestowing upon us the uh, the truthfulness of your testimony and just being transparent for other people's benefits. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, it's my honor. It's my privilege. I I I have to say so, especially since we're recording the week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, just the fact yes. that Psalm 107, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, if we who have been redeemed don't say what we've been redeemed from, how in the world are those in the same bondage ever going to know there's hope? So that's why I, I like to blab. I like to tell on Jesus in a good way. So. That is that good. good. That's very yeah. good. Thanks a bunch. Now, now, Dennis, if a church wants to have you come and speak, how do they get a hold of you? You can go to my website, DennisJernigan.com, and there's a place to go for booking. But they can also call my booking coordinator. Her name is Annie K. Annie K. K A Y, and her number is 918-685-2268. That's 918-685-2268, and she'll be glad to help you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we also want to recommend your book, Sing Over Me. And they can get yes. that at your website too, correct? Yes, they can. And there's the documentary of the same name, which you you just get to walk around the places where everything happened to me and just to help me take back the stolen ground in my own life. And then we just released a new book that's just a short book. It's called Stand in Love, and it's 15 most asked questions about homosexuality and the culture that I get asked, and that would be a great resource for any believer. You know, first question, one of the first questions I answer is, is homosexual behavior sin? Another question, do homosexuals go to hell? On and on, all these questions I get asked all the time, and I just go to the Word of God and just matter-of-factly say, this is what the Word says. So that would be a great resource as well for your listeners. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. And like I said, I want to thank you for just having the courage to to speak out. Uh, It's my honor. It really is. Thank you.
All right. Well, have a blessed holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving. You as well. And if you would let me know, let Annie or myself know when you're going to have this posted, and I'll send all my Facebook people to listen. All right. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. No, it's my honor. Thank you. Bless you guys, too. Blessings. All right. Bye now. That's a wrap. Bye-bye. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool.